Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call. And you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. Today's guest, Ashutosh Garg, should run for president, according to my dad. He would vote for him. He's navigated both the corporate and entrepreneurial spaces and risen to the top. Today, we're going to talk about how he walked away from that, lives a more holistic lifestyle, studies Hindu scriptures, and he's interviewed over 1,200 people on his podcast, A Brand Called You. You guys are in for a treat. He has interviewed the brightest minds around the world. Ashutosh, welcome. Hi, Rina. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very nice. Good to meet you again. Yes. I'm so excited to reconnect with you. This is going to be so much fun. Sure, looking forward to it. I just got back from visiting Mm -hmm. my 93-year-old grandmother. Mm -hmm. I watched the video that you did about Mm -hmm. staying healthy and retirement, and I feel Mm -hmm. like you gave such good practical knowledge around that. Okay. Wow. I would love to talk about how do you figure out your health later in life? What does that look like? So, you know, health arena is not something which happens overnight. It's an investment we make in ourselves throughout our lives. I know so many people who say that, oh, I'm not going on a diet, I need to lose weight, or I need to get fit, so I'm going to start running, or, uh, you know, I've got to start doing some yoga, or I've got to do something different, or I've got to eat right. Health is something which we need to invest in ourselves throughout our life. And there is no second choice because we, God has only given us one body, and that body is something that it, we are, it is our duty to protect it, look after it. Because also we must remember, and I'm sure every one of our viewers and listeners will probably know somebody who did not look after their health and then they suffered. So we cannot let that happen to our body. So it's an ongoing process. Having said that, I think it is also very important to understand that if I am 65 today, I can afford to say that my body should be able to function like a 50-year-old or a 55-year-old. But if I pretend to say that I'm going to be functioning like a 21-year-old, then I'm sorry, my body is going to give up because the body ages. And this is something I tell many people many times that we must accept aging gracefully. And as we age, we must make sure that whatever our health parameters are, we try and keep them within the norms that are prescribed for our own age group. So therefore, it's a very long-winded answer, Rina, to your question of how do you stay healthy, but it's an ongoing commitment that we make day in and day out to ourselves to make sure that we remain healthy. And there is one other thing that I must 
mention about health. And this is, you know, I've spent many years running India's second largest chain of pharmacies. I was on the board of Gavi, the vaccine alliance for many, many years. I think it's important for us to understand what our own challenges may be. I've met dozens of people who say, I don't go to get any tests done because I don't want to know. If I go and get a test done, I, you know, I, something may suddenly be thrown up and that may be a surprise. And I say, well, you, you have an opportunity to get tested, to be able to figure out what are the things that may be wrong with you and to correct it rather than not listen to your body and then suddenly find that, oh my God, the body has given up and has, you know, resulted in some kind of a breakdown on some part of the body. What were your parents' views on health? So my father was a brigadier general. So he was a very, very fit man. And therefore, he encouraged us to remain fit. Having said that, I come from India. In India, studying, doing well in academics is always priority for middle-class Indian parents. So therefore, while remaining fit is important, sports was not something that was encouraged too much by people of my vintage. Because, you know, we were in a country that was coming out of our independence and you know, middle-class people were beginning to find the great opportunities. And so therefore the the objective was children must study hard, start working, do well in their careers, et cetera, et cetera, while remaining fit. Now, when you talk of me as a parent, uh, I encourage my children to play, to compete, to do whatever else has to be done. A lot of fitness-related activities that come out of a decent sports regimen is something which now is coming into uh, a lot of uh, people from South Asia. Yeah, I was also interested in whether your parents were the types of parents that wanted to tell their story or whether they were the types of parents that wanted to keep it to themselves. You know how some parents are like, you should be modest or, you know, maybe they're more old fashioned and not wanting to put their business out there because you're a podcaster, you're encouraging your children to share their story and their personal brand. What were your parents' thoughts on that? My parents were very clear. You know, they always said to us that my father was said, I'm an army officer, so I'm not, I don't, I'm not a businessman. So I'm not going to leave behind a lot of wealth. What I will give you are great values, a great education, and I will make sure that you start off on the right foot in your career. I had an amazing relationship with my father. You know, he passed away when he was 87, five years ago. But I used to go and see him. We lived in the same city. I used to have lunch with him three or four times a week. I used to speak to him every day. And I always called him my closest friend. You know, I would speak to him about everything. And, you know, he would call me about something. And he would, when I was writing my books, he was the first person who would read the manuscript. And then he would critique it. I had a very, very strong relationship with my father. And he always told us, talk about what work you are doing. Because if you're not going to talk about it, nobody else will. I love that. Wow. What did he say about your books? So he loved my books. I mean, I've now written eight books. I'm working on my ninth. But uh, he was alive till I wrote my sixth book. And uh, he uh, read every single word. He would have those books displayed very proudly in his uh, living room. And whenever his friends would come, he would share copies of my books with them. And he would talk with us. He was very proud of the fact that, you know, uh, his son was doing something. So I I think he was an amazing human being, a very highly decorated soldier, decorated twice by the president of India for gallantry. He was quite a role model for me. Yeah. What do you feel like you've carried on 
from so him. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you. So there, there are some interesting things that he always used to tell us. For example, he would tell me that every morning when you stand in front of the mirror to shave, and as men, we shave, he says, when you, if you can look at yourself in the eye and say, yesterday, I did not harm anybody. I did not knowingly do any harm or anything wrong. He says, that's the only explanation you give to yourself. Don't worry about anything else others may think or say. And I think that was a very powerful statement he made to me as a result of which he said, you are your own judge. And as long as you can hold yourself high in esteem in your own eyes, nobody else matters. You don't need to rationalize or explain to anybody. I thought that was one of my very, very clear learnings from him. That's the other very thing that powerful. I learned from him. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And the other thing I learned from him, and these are things I've shared with my sons also, he always said to me, he says that as your father, to the outside world, I stand behind you like a rock, whether you do right or wrong. When you and I are together, and if you're wrong, I may skin you alive. I may get angry with you. But that's between you and me. It is not for the outside world. To the outside world, I'm your father. You can do no wrong. Sometimes, you know, there, there were differences. Uh, my mother may not have agreed. My wife may not have agreed with comments like this. But I knew that he was always my goalkeeper. He was always my fallback position. Wow, how lucky you are to have that. I love that. That's really beautiful. You know, my grandmother, it's just, it's amazing how much health can change in one week. And it's amazing how little wins can become really big wins. Absolutely. At the end of your health. Recently, she told me that I'm her best friend. And I was like, oh my God, like that is such a powerful connection and statement. And the fact that you felt like that about your dad, I just, I'm really, I can relate to that so much. Amazing. Yes, you're right. And I always tell people, I said that, and I know many people who don't get along with their fathers. And I say that, you know, see, you can choose your friends. You can't choose your parents. Today, you may have a problem with your father, but remember he's older and we are all mortal. Someday he'll go away. Make your peace with him before he goes away. Otherwise, you'll always have a regret. That's really, really true. And I feel like my grandmother's doing that with some of her relatives right now. Wow. Do you feel like your father understood the meaning of life? Absolutely. I think not only did he understand the meaning of life, he used to share the various ups and downs, uh, the challenges he had faced with us. As, As a soldier... His life was an open book, very, very high in morals, very high in ethics. What I learned from him was the ability to say no. Very few people have that. You know, we we will hum and haw about if you don't want to do something or we'll say, okay, I'll figure out a way to do it or I'll find a way around it. But we don't have the ability where we say, Rina, I don't think I will do this. And I think that's a very powerful skill that we need to be able to develop in each one of us saying no. How has that helped you in business? Oh, it helps because I'm able to communicate my perspective with a lot of clarity rather than keep saying that, hey, Rina, you're not going to do a business together. You expect something to me instead of my saying I can or I cannot do it. I say, okay, I'll figure out a way to do it. And I don't do it. Then you check back with me. He says, yeah, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what is happening. Give me a few more days. And this is normal conversation. I'm sure we've all had. So if I can say no, you as my business partner know exactly where I stand with you on on a particular matter. And that is what how it's helped me in my business. Mm, I love that. 
Talk to me about the attributes of building a brand. I really loved that video you did as well. What attributes are important when considering your brand? I've got a book on personal branding. In fact, the show that I spoke to you on was the brand called You. I've often said that each one of us is a brand. Each one of us, like a lot of people say, we all have one book inside us, right? Uh, And that's a common phrase we all use. I often say that we as individuals are communicating who we are, what do we stand for, what our values are on an ongoing basis. And in today's very highly connected digital world, everything we say or do is recorded for posterity. It can never be erased or deleted. And I also say that the first bit of branding happened when we were given, when we were christened, we got our name, we got our attributes through the genes our parents gave to us, our, our education, uh, our value systems. These are all the add-ons that come to our personal brands. And then every work that we do, every skill that we add to ourselves, every interaction that we have with people outside, every time someone sees us reacting in a certain way with them are factors that keep adding on to our persona. So how many times do you think of someone who you say, oh, this person would be a good elected representative. This person will not be a good representative. And why is that? Because you have formed an opinion based on that individual's persona, whether he or she will be able to represent you in your elected constituency. How often do you say, I'm an iPhone person, I'm an Android person, right? How often do you say that I'm left-brained, I'm right-brained, you know? And there are so many such examples that you can think of. So these are all parameters that go into adding on to our brand. And that is where we people have to keep on investing constantly because we know famous sports persons, uh, famous golfers who did one thing wrong and the brand collapsed completely. And then it took them a long time to recover. Similarly, we know politicians, brilliant politicians did one thing that was not ethical or one thing that was incorrect in the minds of the people and the brand collapsed. So we spend our entire life building our brand, our persona, the way we are perceived by others. And one wrong move can destroy it very quickly. There's a whole series of things that go into building our brand, and we've got to be aware of each one of these. Which one sticks out in your mind the most? Well, I would say, remember that as someone had said, that a brand is something which is talked about when you're not in the room. Right? Mm, definitely. So, uh, if I've stepped out of the room and people are talking negatively about me, then I think it's not, my, my brand is not a positive brand. But if, if I step out of the room and there are six other people and saying, oh, this guy's a good guy. And maybe he should be considered for the next promotion. Or maybe he's a person who I, you know, I can trust to do something different for, for, for the organization. That's when my brand is getting, a more, getting more powerful and more, more acceptable. So many aspects are t- taken into account. I, I may be a good writer. I may be a good author. I may be a, a good singer. I may be a musician. And I may, I may be a just, just a good guy. I may be trustworthy. I may be the go-to guy. There are so many different factors that we take into account when uh, people perceive us. Yeah. When do you think you made your parents the most proud? Well, I would say there must be many instances, but, you know, because they would always be very effusive about the fact that they were happy with the way things are going. When I got my first promotion, when I was 22 years old, or when I was moved out of India as one of the senior people to go and 
run a business outside India or when my parents came outside to visit us for the first time in Singapore when we used to live there or when I wrote my first book. There were many, many such instances where I believe I think I, I can say with certainty that my parents and my father and my mother were both very, very proud about. That's wonderful. I'm also curious about your thoughts on prosperity in India and how India is growing today. So India is now in the top five economies in the world. We are 1.35 billion people. We are the fastest growing economy this year. We'll grow at 8.2% as per uh, World Bank figures. And uh, by 2030, we will be the third largest economy in the world uh, after the US and China. So the economy is growing. There are huge opportunities. Infrastructure investments are very substantial that are happening. And yet we are a country which is so large that it takes time for us to be able to say like the US that there is prosperity in a much larger percentage of the population because you are say 300 million people and it's a very, very large middle class. We may have 200 million people in the middle class, which may be as large as the US, but that 200 million is out of 1.35 billion. So therefore, we have a long way to go to be able to pull a very large number of people up to higher and higher economic standards. And I think our government and our businesses and industries are working very hard to be able to pull India into not a developed country. I mean, it'll take us many years to reach that stage, but to a stage where a significant amount of the population will be in a position of being able to say that I can aspire to get something that I may not have been able to get in my previous generation. That's wonderful. How have things changed since your childhood? Very significantly, very significantly. When we were growing up, I don't think there was enough available. I mean, you know, we were not aware of what was happening in the world. Something as simple as a telephone wasn't available. I'm talking of, I'm I'm 65 years old. So talking of the early 60s, we did not have access to what was happening in the world. We were middle-class people. I went overseas for the first time when I was in 85, when I was 26 years old, you know, I didn't, I had never been out of India till then. Since then I've visited, I've traveled over 85 countries. And, uh, you know, so I think there's a lot of changes that have happened. People like us who are given the right education by our parents, given the right opportunities, I think are the fortunate few who have been able to get very, very massive advantages because of what the government has been able to provide for us. To be fair also to all people of my generation, I think a lot of us took these opportunities with grateful hands and took the ball and ran, you know. So so therefore, a lot has changed and a lot will continue to change. And talk to me about how you're giving back now. The many ways of giving back. I'm involved with some charities. I'm involved with, I, I spent eight years on the board of Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, which where I gave a month every year pro bono uh, to the board because of uh, you know the amount of work that Gavi is doing on vaccination which is now talked about all over the world i am now also through my podcast i am giving back knowledge experience and wisdom by speaking to uh, i would have finished by the end of this month over 1200 interviews you know we get between 8 to 10000 views and listens every day 74% of our people are under 34 which really tells me that a lot of young people are beginning to appreciate the knowledge experience and wisdom from thousands of people from around the world and this is just my way of saying that here are opportunities for you to listen to someone like arena about all the amazing work she has done you spoke to me you shared a lot of your journey and i think there's a lot to learn from every single person's journey definitely 
Oh my God. That is remarkable. Yeah. So what's next for you? You have this ninth Um, book. What's the ninth book on? Well, the ninth book is something I've been working on. India is a very, very old civilization. And we have recorded history. We have recorded books and scriptures that may be going back to about 3000 BC. And, you know, there are so many different topics and subjects that have been spoken about. So I've been reading a lot of our old scriptures. And my book is Management Lessons from Indian Scriptures. What we talk about today is something that have been spoken about in, in, uh, in our scriptures 5,000 years ago. Every single thing that we address as, 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 as uh, human beings in this world, there is an answer to something or the other. And, you know, it's, it's like when you read the Bible, very often you just say, let me open one page somewhere to get what may happen to me today or what, what may, you know, we do that, uh, you know, with the Bible. So similarly, the Bible is is one book that is followed by Christians. We, we don't have one such book. We have hundreds of different kinds of books available. It is a pluralistic society. It is a society which is able to accept significant variances, differences in the way we approach life, in the way we address life. And therefore, I just thought that it would be a good idea for me to bring some lessons that I'm able to interpret to a large part of the world, which is what I'm working on. Wow, I absolutely love that. What were your parents' views on the scriptures? So my father, as an army officer, was not too aware of these things. I mean, he may have grown up learning a little bit. My mother knew much more. So I was introduced to a lot of the scriptures by my mother. And we were, she would tell us stories when we were young kids. A lot of the scriptures, like most scriptures, are in story form. So therefore, she would narrate different stories. I mean, one of the world's largest poems is a poem called the Mahabharat, which has got 100,000 verses. And it is an Indian scripture. So while it is a narrative of one of the world's longest, one of the world's largest wars, but in that there are multiple small, 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 small books, which have a lot of interesting lessons. So that is what the scriptures are all about. My mother would introduce us to a lot of those. That's so cool. How do you get your kids interested in that though? I mean, kids today, it they just difficult. want to play on screens. <laughs> it, is, it is difficult. Though I must say our, our youngest son works for Procter & Gamble in the US. Uh, he's been there for the last 17, 18 years. Our older son works for Visa in Singapore. So while they have a very strong roots in scriptures, they, they know the stories, etc. I guess at that, their age, you know, they, they're busy with their work. And at some stage, I'm sure they will come back to be able to understand what their roots were. Yeah. Do you feel like you became more spiritual or interested in that later in life? Last, Absolutely. In the last maybe 15 years. I mean, I was busy uh, as hell working, but in the last 15 years, I wanted to explore and understand more, a little more about my own uh, background, my own religion, my own scriptures. So I guess it goes everywhere. We are all at different phases of life. And as one gets older, one wants to be able to get a slightly deeper understanding. Wow, that's fantastic. Because if you don't stay in motion, then what happens? Correct. Wow, that's fantastic. Let me see. I wanted to maybe ask you a couple questions that you ask mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. really quick. I know one of the questions you asked me was like, tell me about three key milestones in your career or life. Do you want to do okay. that one? 
Sure, sure. I'll tell you that. So my first milestone was when I, at, at 19, when I got into a business school for my MBA in one of the top schools of India. I think that was a life-changing experience for me because suddenly I was thrown into the world, you know, from my undergrad, my school, my undergrad, etc. You know, you're always with a small group of people, etc. Now, here I was in one of the top top business schools, exposed to the corporate world, exposed to uh, whatever else was happening. My second milestone, I would say, was when I gave up corporate life after 25 years, when I was 46, and became an entrepreneur. And I built India's second largest chain of pharmacies, which at one stage employed over 1,200 people. So that was a second significant milestone, I would say. And my third milestone would probably be when I wrote my first book, because I always used to write. But writing my first book gave me the confidence to be able to put my thoughts down on a piece of paper. And I've, also, I've often said that when I'm able, when anybody, any author is able to write a book and publish it, that only means that they are open to being criticized by an audience who they don't know. So I would say that was my third. And I'd add one more, which is when I started my podcast, which is in January 2019. Because suddenly I was listening to stories of people from around the world. And I think that was an amazing opportunity. So I would say these would be my four milestones. Wow, tremendous. I mean, I give it to you because you have really put yourself out there. I mean, 25 years in corporate, entrepreneurship, writing a book. Everybody says they want to do these things. Wow. I mean, (laughs) what advice would you give? I mean, there's so many people that want to do all of that. Don't wait. If you want to write a book, start now. If you want to start a podcast, start now. If you want to do anything different. I mean, I hear so many people, I want to play, learn music. Someone says, I want to do this. And I said, well, what are you waiting for? Don't procrastinate because life is short. If you're passionate about wanting to do something, invest the time. And at the end of the day, even if you decide that you don't like it or you don't want to do it, it's something you started. You can stop it. Nothing lost. But if you don't start it, it'll always be a desire. I wish I had done something. So therefore, start now. Do you play any instruments? I do. I play the the Indian flute. Wow. How long have you been playing that? Well, I learned when I was in my early 20s. Then I got busy with the corporate life and business, et cetera, et cetera. And then I picked it up again three years ago. I have a teacher who comes and teaches me uh, every week. So I learned the flute. Wow, that's so cool. I should have like, if I would have known that, I would have had you have the the flute queued up. (laughs) Do you think entrepreneurs make good employees? The answer is yes and no. I think entrepreneurs need to understand that while they are founders and builders of organizations, their ego is not something which is good for the organization. And there are so many entrepreneurs I know personally who have destroyed themselves, destroyed their organizations because their ego is bigger than themselves. And that is something which I think is is unfair and unfair to the organization. Because when you are alone and uh, you've got a great idea, you can have whatever ego you want. But once you are responsible for hundreds of people who are now dependent on you to run their homes, their families, that is when your commitment needs to change. And the role of the entrepreneur must change into that of an employee. And therefore, it is very important to differentiate my role as a shareholder of the company versus my role as the CEO of the company. A CEO is an employee and you take a salary for that. Shareholder, you own the company, but you've got to be able to segregate or separate these two roles in your own mind to be able to build a very strong company. 
Do you think it was better that you worked in corporate for 25 years and then became an entrepreneur versus the other way around? I, I think so. I think uh, I was able to bring a lot of very, very good best practices from the three large organizations I worked with to be able to build these management practices into uh, a young startup as well. What does success mean to you? Well, to me, success, uh, Rena, is, is something which if I can say that what I'm doing today meets my own goals of being able to reach out to many people. So for my podcast, my success means, for me, success means that I've reached out to many, many people and been able to give them the knowledge, experience, wisdom that I talk about. When it comes to success with my, my family, it means that I am available to my family when they need me. So it's not that I'm, I'm hanging around all the time, but whenever they need me, I'm, I should be available. When it comes to my writing, success for me means that I should be able to focus and concentrate on my writing to finish a book. When I'm playing golf, success means that I need to play a good round of golf. So success means different things at different times. Have you ever felt like you wanted to quit? And when you feel that way, what keeps you going? I don't think I've ever felt that, you know, like giving up. There are, of course, uh, there are moments when you say, why am I doing something like that? But that is where I do believe that we need to be able to build the internal resilience to say, no, you've got to keep your head down, keep going. And yet, if you, if when I decide to walk away from something, and I've done it many times, then I never look back and I never have a regret. When I sold my company, I, I never, ever got back to, and I, or I never spoke to any of my former colleagues to say, what's happening there? Who said this? Who said that? One inning closes for me, then I move on to something different. That's a wonderful way to look at it. That can be hard to do. I've it even is. had my kids recently say, you know, that was over a long time ago. I think it's time to get over that. I know. <laughs> Absolutely. Do your kids Absolutely. give you any advice? All the time, all the time. I now reach out to them and I reach out to them and I ask them for things. And then, you know, they're 37 and uh, 34 and they always give me incredible advice. Yeah. What kind of advice do they stick to you? Well, one important thing that they always tell me is that when you are, when I'm speaking to them on a video call like this, why are you looking at your phone? So that's an advice they always give me, you know, talk to me and don't, you know, be there all the time. And if there's any challenge I'm facing, I talk to them and they always give me a different perspective. I love that. That's funny that even at your age, I mean, they're around my age, you know, that they're telling you not to look at your phone. I tell my dad, he'll appreciate that. <laughs> the same thing. Absolutely. Kids Absolutely. want your attention no matter what the age, right? Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God. That is fantastic. Okay. I'm going to pick one more here and then I'm going to uh -huh. see what you want to ask my dad. What is your biggest thing that you've learned? your biggest mistake and what you've learned from it? So, uh, you know, I think I've made many mistakes in my life. In fact, there are so many mistakes that I tell people I've got to, I've written a book on, on failure. I would say one big learning for me has been when my expectations from people are ahead of what they are willing to or capable of delivering. Then my learning has been that don't have such expectations, temper down these expectations and give that other individual an opportunity to be able to perform rather than saying, you're not able to do it. Okay, don't worry, I will do it. Now, that is not the right way for me to do it. And sometimes I still react like that. I think it's important for me to think about how I can be more inclusive with the people and give them space because not everyone's reality is the same as mine. Their own prioritization may not be the same as mine. 
So I think that is one of my big learnings. That's a beautiful lesson because really we could maybe even get rid of somebody too soon that really was good intentioned and wanted to learn and maybe could have been nurtured better. Correct. Absolutely. Wow. That's really beautiful. Mm. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? Yeah, well, I did make a note. I don't know him, but I really wanted to ask him that young people are not reading enough. I would love to get his perspective. I mean, they're, they're all focused entirely on social media and the messages that they're getting and they're forming opinions. So I want to ask him that because they're not reading enough, how will this impact their long-term worldview or what will happen in future? That's a great question. You know, I was just on vacation and there was a library in the condo where we were mm-hmm. staying and I found a book. I read the entire book in four days. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And, I mean, it was fiction, sure. but then I was like, oh my gosh, when you find one good book like that, then you like get so excited. Really? So I went down and I found another one and I'm halfway through it. I was like, I'm getting on a fiction kick. <laughs> I was actually Thank wondering, you. like, have you ever thought about writing fiction? I have. I have two fiction books. Oh, nice. Yeah. And they're being reviewed to be made into web series. So I don't know if they'll get made, but I have two fiction books. Wow. That's amazing. So was that like a dream as a kid or later? I always used to write, you know, from the time I was very young, um, I used to write letters to the editor, which is how it started in the newspapers. And then I started writing a column for magazines, etc. And for a long time, I kept writing columns. Then one day I just said, let me, let me write my first book. And uh, I started writing and it just the words just kept flowing. And then after, once you've written one book, then it's relatively easy to write more. These days I'm writing almost a book every year. And these are large books. I mean, you know, they are 300 page books, 60, 70, 80,000 words. My biggest fiction book is a book titled An Eye for an Eye. And uh, that book is almost a 430, 440 page book. So it, it takes the reader from 1928 to 2014 and what has happened in India and how the, you know, what happened in independence, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a long book. How much research goes into that? A reasonably lot, reasonably <laughs> amount of research that's going into it. And do you do that yourself or do you have a team? I, no, no, I do it myself. Wow. I was born in 1956. So I've seen my country evolve over the years. And I've been also privileged to have been involved with a lot of government delegations and have been part of leading uh, you know, delegations to different countries, et cetera. So therefore that has given me an opportunity to see a lot of things firsthand, which is where I'm able to draw upon uh, a lot of knowledge. How did your parents afford those opportunities for you? No, all this happened after I started working. I started working when I was 21, you know, after an MBA. I was fortunate, was, was paid very, very well, doing well professionally. And it was my companies which gave me those opportunities to go. So I've been, I've been a member of this organization called the Young Presidents Organization, YPO, for 28 years. I was recognized by the World Economic Forum at what they used to, in the old days, presumptuously call Global Leaders for Tomorrow. I've, I've been given a lot of great opportunities, and I'm grateful for those opportunities. Incredible. Well, it has been an absolute honor having you on the show. And I can't wait to hear what my dad has to say about your question. And I just hope that we keep in touch. And I look forward to that. I want to read your fiction. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I look forward to keeping in touch. And thank you for inviting me to your amazing podcast, Better Call Daddy. Yay. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Your interview with Mr. Ashutosh, it's on a historic day. Today, 
the Supreme Court of the United States overruled Roe versus Wade, where isn't it quite ironic that this episode is really about the children, is about the Better Call Daddy show's legacy of how important it is to have a legacy to pass on to your children and to your children's children. And in Ashutosh's comment, where his father was a high military officer, a general in the Indian Army, and where he grew up where his son was his best friend, and vice versa, where he was giving him not only encouragement, but mentorship, where they talked about everything. Isn't that the kind of relationship that I had with my father? And when you have that, and when you have it with your grandparents, and it's not about yourself individually, but making sure that the insight of the future isn't at hand. Mr. Ashutosh is also was involved in running his own business after 25 years of experience of working in the corporate world, but also relates how important it is, is to read and listen to other people and to communicate, whether it's with a podcast and or writing books, where he's trying very hard to spread the word and is in on the development of not only his people, his whole country, where he's looking to have made improvements in India and being involved in the political world and giving people an insight to that. It's just a remarkable story how it starts off with his father and where you're giving every opportunity to a child or to your son, in this case, where they can make a huge difference, not only in your family and in your immediate community, but in your whole country, and maybe even spread it around the entire world with the type of communication break that we have. And today, Roe versus Wade being overturned is also trying to give a message that no matter what happens, that children are our future. And even if a person has a parent that doesn't give you the right example or the right mentorship, and you have a blowout tire, how many people on your show have shown that they've been able to overcome the adversity and still overcome every odd and can turn into wonderful people and make a tremendous, wonderful contribution to this world. And who's to say which child that is? And does it have to be from one certain family? Can it even be from a broken family? Can it even be from a a person that is deemed to be aborted, could be famous and wonderful? How are we to know unless we give life a chance? And that's what this episode and our show is all about. That is what this show is all about. I also love like that he started his podcast, The Brand Called You, to give back. And he has highlighted so many people. Well, this is the thing. He's elevated himself to where he wants to be a voice of bettering humankind. And he does it every step of the way his whole life. Isn't that really the formula of success? I just love this episode because it is really based on what you and I are trying to accomplish. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 